Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia, the podcast for the young at heart and a passion for the past. I'm Nolan, sitting next to me is Ben, and we're coming at you with part two of our two-part series for the influential moments in television and telebroadcasting. Episode one was um, so and forth titled, uh, reasonably, Video Killed the Political Stars. Um, Nixon was one of our (laughs) key key people to talk about on how um, politics really changed along with um, influential moments like Ed Sullivan, um, as well as All in the Family and anything in between. But uh, today we'll be bringing you more of um, influential moments in television. But before we get started, make sure you subscribe, rate, and share. Find us on the podcasts, um, or podcast app or iTunes, also Google Play, and we are so happy to announce that we are now on Stitcher. Stitcher is pretty much an on-demand um, radio where you can find over 20,000 shows to discover. You can listen anytime, anywhere, create custom playlists, including Young Nostalgia on that, of course. And it's also available for free on iOS and Android. And you can download it anywhere you get your apps. That's Stitcher, S T I T C H. E-R, Stitcher, and you can also listen to it in your car as it's available over 4 million car dashboards out there. So you can download it and listen to it in the car easy and free. That's Stitcher. You'll find us on there. And please rate, subscribe, and share as you've always been doing. Um, So without further ado, Ben, why don't you kick us off today? All right. So at the top of the list here, we've got a great TV moment from the height of the Cold War. Um... One of the greatest TV moment, TV sports moments ever came on February 22, 1980, when the ragtag underdog U.S. Olympic hockey team uh, showed off against the heavily favored Soviet team in Lake Placid, New York. Um, until Up until this time, the Soviets had dominated Olympic play from 1956 all the way to 1976. Um, but the uh, spirit of the American squad led to a surprise 4-3 win. Um, and as the uh, clock ran down, um, comment, commenter, sorry, excuse me, Al Michaels uh, cried, "Do you believe in miracles?" Yes, and that was that was quite a big, uh, a quite a big time. You know, it, it was at the height of the Cold War, and obviously, um, the two big world superpowers, United States and the Soviet Union, um, there's already so much. Um, uh, conflict between the two there was so much uh uh tension and and to come down into a a worldwide sports arena like this um was (laughs) that was amazing and then you know of course the united states coming out on top was you know icing (laughs) on the cake for the whole thing (laughs) yeah I, i always feel like even to this day we have this animosity between each other when it comes to like sports i mean political um you know, talking and, and, and everything in that. Um, and, and I think even now the main sport that even has kind of evolved around this is, is now basketball. <laughs> Cause we always have the quote unquote dream team that goes out and, and, you know, nobody can really beat us when it comes to basketball. Cause, um, yeah, it's almost becoming our pastime <laughs> now still, um, when it comes winter. So, <laughs> Uh, cool. All right, so we'll move right along um, into Princess Diana's wedding in 1981. This thing was um, huge. I mean, 
people still talk about the extravagant wedding um, that she held. So in the modern phenomenon of these um, affairs as, as a must-see TV uh, for her wedding began on July 29, 1981, when Lady Diana Spencer married Prince Charles at St. Paul's Cathedral in an um, opulent spect- spectacle of a ceremony viewed by nearly three-quarters of a billion people. Holy cow. Three-quarters of a billion people. That's, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> geez, Louise, that's almost like... That's a big chunk of the U.S., but you have, like, U.S. people and British people. I mean, people around the world watching this. Um, and it was a lavish introduction for the people's princess, as Diana was known. Sixteen years later, people around the world would again turn, the in, turn to their televisions to get um, the, the, the sad and mournful uh, memory of her untimely death due to an automobile accident, which I know we've talked um, about in the past. But um, being the, pe- the people's princess, you know, Seeing Diana's wedding was a wedding that everyone oh, yeah. wanted I mean, to have. Three, I can't get over three quarters of a billion people. I mean, that is. I mean, we just talked about a kind of a worldwide thing <laughs> with the the Olympic, the uh, Miracle on Ice, and then you know something like this where it, it's really just kind of, um, it it's Britain's thing. You know, it, it's really just it doesn't really affect anyone else besides them. In you know, in reality, but then still, I mean, that's a huge chunk of the world you know, watching this and it, you know, it's not like it's, it, you don't really have a, you yeah. know, a dog in the race, you know, it, it's, <laughs> that, that, that's what makes it kind of interesting is that it had this worldwide following when, you know, it's really just, it, it's Britain's, um, you know, it's part of Britain's crown. Yeah. It's part of the staple. And, and, and it's weird to think when we look at Diana's wedding, um, I mean, it's been happening for a while, but the shift of how the monarch has become more of a figurehead rather than a political staple in um britain's government you know what i mean it's like it's more of it's more of um just british heritage to have these kind of ceremonies and weddings um rather than like political agendas for the monarch oh right i mean they i mean in reality they really have no um influence on you know what's going on uh politically speaking wise um and it's kind of interesting how much attention they still get because of that, I mean, they don't really do anything. They just kind of sit there and and you know look good. <laughs> that's 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 true, really about they it. They do look good. So they got more money oh than us, though. Oh my goodness! So. Yes. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. All right. Along. Well, we're coming up to the uh, another po- uh, another point in the Cold War. I'm kind of getting those tonight. And so uh, we've got 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and. Um, of course, two years previous, uh, two years prior, Ronald Reagan um, had the now famous Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall line um, in his speech, and uh, and then two years after that, a relatively short period of time, it was done, um, and there was there was huge there was protests up through this. I mean, there, it wasn't you know I said something about Reagan. It wasn't just Reagan. There was huge conflict and there was huge opposition to this wall by this uh, time in history. And, uh, and, you know, on November 10th of 1989, the first concrete slab was removed that kind of marked the, the ending of this, this divide. Um, the, of course, while this was going on, I mean, there was this official ceremony where the first part of this wall was taken down. And, you know, at the same time, there was people just starting to tear down anything they could, sledgehammers, chisels, everything, um, just chipping away at this wall. I mean, you know, 
officially it had been uh, its power had been revoked. I mean, there, it wasn't a standing monument anymore, but um, people were still itching to tear down this this wall that was still just a symbol um, at you know at, at that time. Um, it didn't really mean anything anymore because it had officially been been uh, the the blockade had been disbanded. But people, I mean, you can't just wait around for you know construction crews to tear it down. You got to start ripping pieces off. You got to um, you know there's huge there's a huge souvenir market. Um, I know you could buy pieces of the wall back then um, just for to have a piece of that history. And so um, this was this was just an absolutely huge moment in time. Um, when I mean it was, it was, uh, gosh, how long was it up? I mean, it, it's been it would have been dividing. It was um, it was up for a good like twenty some years. Oh yeah, yeah, I know we had talked about it in previous shows, and you know something that that has been up that long. I mean, that's a lifetime for some of those people. I mean, they knew may they might not have remembered anything different, and then it was yeah. coming down. It says right here at the very end. It says television cameras were there to capture it all, and I feel like it's one thing to be super monumental to. Um, officially close the wall and open, you know, free trade and, and free movement from each side. But I feel like it's one thing to actually capture and see the natural way people react when something like this happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like the tears, the cries, the celebrations, the chipping at the wall for people's bringing their own tools just to, you know, take their own piece out of the wall because they lived it um, and and understood what it meant to tear yeah. down this wall. Yeah, it's an, so being able to capture the natural state of these people I think was something huge. Oh yeah, it's time. amazing to have something like that documented on video. All right, what cool. do you got next, Nolan? Uh, so um, we talked about some Ed Sullivan, but now we got to talk about uh, another big figurehead in uh, television entertainment, and this is Johnny Carson. Here's Johnny. <laughs> it was his final Tonight Show in 1992. Um, so in the pre-cable days, we're thinking like still antennas and, and all this good stuff. And all three of the networks um, went to test patterns after the evening news. So those beautiful colors that uh, had no um, no entertainment or sound value at all. The Tonight Show was quite literally the only game in town. So when we talk about um, the entertainment for the family, when it came 10 o'clock, it's the Tonight Show. It's 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 what a parents and you know tongue and cheek comedy would come on um, for people to enjoy late night, and so um, others would follow and to an attempt to challenge him. But Johnny Carson always remained the undisputed king of late night and really kind of laid the foundation and path for late night way in the future. But in 1992, after 30 years on the job, Johnny decided it was time to step down from king of late night the month's long run-up to his final program was a parade of stars with everyone in hollywood stopping in for one more chat with johnny i feel like it was it was um almost a vacation for hollywood stars to go out and talk to johnny and have a good time because i mean plus plus you're getting like publicity but johnny i felt like would always be somebody that you'd like to have out for a backyard cookout anyway but his classy final show airing on may 22nd 1992 was more of a personal affair as Carson alone sat on a stool in front of the entire um, live audience, staff, family, and friends, and everybody um, watching it from you know their couches. He also um, was introducing his favorite clips from the 30 years he's been on, and at the end of the hour, in a loving farewell that he wrote himself, Carson told his audience this, quote, It has been an honor and a privilege to come into your homes all these years and entertain you, and I hope when I find something I want to do, and I think you will like it, You'll be a gracious, as gracious in inviting me to your home as you have been. I bid you a very heartfelt good night. 
And that was Johnny Carson's sign-off. Yeah, I mean, to have a show that was... I mean, it was not only was it around, but it was popular for a solid 30 years. And, you know, it's something like that. You just can't end it. You just can't, you know, be like, all right, yeah. that's it. Goodbye. Go home. You know? <laughs> um, I, ha- I have not seen this final episode. I watch Johnny Carson all the time. There's We got a channel here that um, it plays Johnny Carson every night at 10 o'clock. And it's obviously just reruns, but I have not had the privilege to see that last episode. And maybe they don't play it too much. I don't know. But uh, one of these days, I'd like to yeah. actually see it. Because honestly, Johnny Carson lives on forever with um, the spirit of late night. And um, what was so cool, I mean, for for being so big in the home of American families for 30 years, I think it was how different late night was. It brought you know satire comedy to what was happening in the world. So, you know, news would be coming into the into um, the American household, but it would be something of more of a twist where you can kind of sit back and relax and kind of forget about the stresses of the day or the week, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, I mean, just kind of a nice wind down, wind down of the day or of the of the week, like you said. I mean, it's, it was good. Uh, it was it wasn't kind of like, it wasn't like modern comedy where, you know, you have to be careful if the kids are in the room or anything like that. It was kind of <laughs> it was just good, wholesome fun to sit down and watch the Johnny Carson show. My parents always said it was always a treat when they got to stay up and watch <laughs> Johnny Carson. They always said Friday, they always said Friday nights were the best because they didn't have school the next day. So it'd be easier to stay up. <laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, moving on to you. So um, this whole episode, I've kind of been having the fun ones. And I get kind of stuck with the kind depressing of the really ones. serious ones. <laughs> this one's actually kind yeah, of funny. Yeah. All, all right, right, all right. Go on, go on. So on a June night, 1995, nearly 95 million <laughs> viewers, wow, 95 million, tuned in to watch the weirdest car chase in history. Um, not really a car chase, um, but a car chase nonetheless. Uh, there's a fleet of LAPD cruisers um following a white bronco uh down interstate five (laughs) and now you might start be start starting to pick up where i'm kind of going with this this was the oj simpson fiasco (laughs) (laughs) and and uh everyone i mean everyone who was around back then you know maybe uh you know not necessarily us because we would have been a year old but um you know they 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 know what the the O.J. Simpson chase was. Um, so uh, this was obviously uh, inside the cruise, or ins- I'm sorry, inside the Bronco was former football star O.J. Simpson and his friend Al Cowlings. Uh, Simpson's ex-wife Nicole Brown and her friend Ron Goldman um, had been uh, murdered three days earlier, and they and Simpson and Cowling were charged with double murder. Um, Simpson uh, was to turn himself in earlier that day, but he didn't. Um, Instead, he kind of left a a weird cryptic note with his friend Robert Kardashian, which is yet another big name thrown in here, um, insisting that he had nothing to do with Nicole's murder. Um, But at the same time, he warned police, do not feel sorry for me, I've had a great life. And so, I don't know, it's kind of like, He's kind of contradicting himself there. Yeah, um, you he's, know, he's like throwing out a fishing line, but saying like, "Oh no, it's okay." You know, I, di- I didn't do it, but but you can still grab it. Yeah, and at, at first thought, I mean, it was kind of they kind of thought it was going to be a suicide note, 
Um, and you know, there had been reports that Simpson had a gun in the car. Um, and the kind of the whole premise behind this is the police were just following, following him back home. Um, over the next, over the course of next year, um, the case would, I mean, it was huge. There was a huge following to this one case. Um, ultimately ending in, uh, Simpson was found not guilty of the crimes in October of 1995. Um, and that's that's kind of a it's kind of the one big case um, of the last couple decades. I mean, there's been other stuff going on, but everyone knows the O.J. Simpson case, and you know, and that's partly because there's been so much stuff happening after that. Um, yeah. And then you know, all leading up to this, and then what was it last month or so? He was you know finally given parole. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And and, and and what makes it so weird is that he was. Um, not convicted, like found not guilty in October of 95 and he's getting parole in October of this year Yeah, for not, obviously not the murders, but, um, he was convicted of stealing property that was quote unquote his, Yes, like some type of sports memorabilia or something like in Vegas Mm -hmm. years back. But, uh, geez, what, what a crap. It's just just kind of one of those things that never really goes away. Mm -hmm. Um, every couple years you hear something. I mean, uh, didn't he write that book? Um, what was the name of that book? I thought he wrote a, if, if I did it. Yeah, if if I committed the crime or if I did it or something like that. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, just just let it go, man. And obviously, he's looking for some sort of publicity with that. I mean, you don't write a book like that if you're not looking for it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, st- studying criminal justice, we actually kind of looked and uh, kind of broke down the O.J. Simpson case. I mean, for one, Simpson had money. I mean, he was a football star. Um, movie star doing everything with um, advertisements and, and and all that good stuff. Yeah. But when you look at the crime scene photos, they really botched this case. I mean, Simpson had the best lawyers, like the best attorneys in the nation. I mean, he had the money to have them, like Kardashian, um, just the best, the best around. So that he had that on his side. They released the crime scene photos, and you see these police officers just tromping through the mud, and. You'll, they'll take two crime scene photos of, of one area of the house. Um, I think it was the bedroom. And they were taken back to back, but items in the bedroom would be moved from photo to photo. So Jeez. that would prove that, you know, there was either A, tampering of evidence, or, you know, B, people are messing with the crime scene before actually documenting it. Yeah, I mean, so at, right at the very least, a, it's just inconsistent. Yeah, you exactly. Know, like, wh- how are you supposed to conduct a thorough investigation if you've got um, people just slapping around in there, not you know worrying about what they're screwing up? Yeah, and and, and, the, and the whole famous uh, "if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit." <laughs> and and before that trial even went on, um, the public uh, the public attorney like going against Simpson was told, "Do not ask Simpson to wear this glove because it was full leather and it shrunk." Yeah, but he did it anyway, and then Simpson was like, "Well, there's blood on that. I can't wear it barehanded." So he put on another plastic glove to put the glove over it. Obviously, it's not going to fit. So <laughs> they just really botched the whole case, and and it really became a whole political affair because it was causing ra- uh, racial tensions at the time. Because you know O.J. Simpson being African American, the citizens were, you know, you're trying to wrongfully colli- um, convict this national star who's african-american kind of thing oh so yeah it's really kind of pinning um two sides together yeah i mean it's, it's 
there's there is so much going on with this case and um and there's been just tons of doc there's been tons of documentaries about it you know for and against oj um, uh-huh. since then i mean i think netflix has got a ton of them on there i haven't watched them but <laughs> i know they're there <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's right. let's move on we were on that one for quite a while yeah, yeah, sure thing. There's a lot of talk about that. Um, so election night of 2000, um, every time I see the year 2000 is when people were freaking out because they thought computers would all shut down and Jeez. the world was going to end. Anyway, That's for probably all the a topic for another episode. <laughs> yeah. For all the months of anticipation, um, opinionating, and po- uh, polling, election nights had tended to be pretty mundane affairs with calls often made early in the night, leaving pundits and uh, anchors to fill time and announce foregone conclusions of the elections. So um, it was kind of like, you know, is this where the polls are going? Is this where the polls are going? And and when people were watching this, they were pretty much confused, and nobody really knew what the outcome of this election was going to be. But when um, that wasn't the case on November 7th, 2000, when the beta campaigns of George W. Bush and Al Gore came to a close. So this is where the spinner comes in. With various networks... um, and exit polling service calling, then recanting both the state of Florida and the entire election for both Bush and Gore. Election night ended without a clear winner because, um, you know, news news forums didn't know what was happening. There was recanting of votes, um, and the ultimate outcome was, to say the least, controversial because nobody really knew the true count of the votes. But you've um, got to say this um, with grease boards waving, tightening results flying, and Dan Rather. Um, in full-on folksy weirdo mode, it was truly gripping television when they found out um, that George W. Bush was the winner um, after those controversial votes. Oh yeah, that was. Um, I am. I was still pretty young to be remembering any of that. You know, I was young to remember it anyway, but then young to, you know, grasp it or you know, care. Yeah. <laughs> um, we hear about it. Hear hearing about it later on, and that was. You see, it seems like no one's no. It seems like no one was, was happy with anything. They weren't happy with uh, the the final outcome. No one was happy with the uh, how how sketchy the whole thing seemed. You know, I mean, no, like you were talking about, no one knew what the heck was going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, wasn't this the time that Al Gore like proclaimed that he invented the internet or something? I was around this time. I don't I don't really know the timeline of all his nonsense that he started putting out. <laughs> But, <laughs> but, oh, <boy. laughs> and, uh, and, you know, this was, uh, you, you kind of saw a little bit of the conflict too, about how the elections were, were operated at this point. Um, you know, with the, uh, you know, the popular vote and, you know, the, you know, someone could win the popular vote, but lose the election. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of, it's one of those other, one of those close races where, you know, people are all bent out of shape because it didn't go their way and the system is against them, you know, and the same stuff we hear all the time. Except yeah, this one was... Re- what? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and this one, you know, we hear that all the time, but this one was uh, kind of a huge case um, where people went nuts over it. And I think it's so interesting reading about it because I feel like at this time, election voting was so, quote-unquote, mundane, but it wasn't, like, truly um, electronic yet. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the newsrooms would like be calling around to find out the poll results instead of like publicly releasing electronically. So right. I think that's what really changed things a lot too, um, in the, in the whole controversy that was going on with this election. 
<laughs> anyway, anyway, um, you got another serious one coming. So, jeez, man, I have turn. gotten all of the depressing ones. All right, so, um, the morning news shows were starting to wind down on Tuesday morning in September. Um, uh, when reports came into the control rooms that a plane had hit the World Trade Center. Um, this is, of course, the September 11th attacks. Um, initial word was that. It was originally just a small passenger plane um, that had hit the towers, but later on, um, the news started to come out that it was, in fact, a commercial airliner. Um, and then shortly after, another one smashed into the second tower. Um, and, it, you know, at that point, after two, it's pretty clear that it's a well-coordinated, um, intentional attack. Um, and this, of course, went along with uh, a similar attack on the Pentagon, um, at the same time um and all of this happening on live television um with not only cable news channels but broadcast networks um we're doing continuous coverage around the clock from you know the moment it happened um and the uh, viewers were um you know glued to their televisions for you know great lengths of time uh, hours days weeks after all this happened people People just weren't sure what was going on. Was there more to come? Mm -hmm. Was this it? You know, you just don't know. Yeah, a super scary moment. And I mean, yes, here both of us keep keep our you know minds and hearts always out to the families that was affected by this. Um, and just a truly infamous day in American history, and um, something that we've always banded together around um, and made each other stronger, um, just to make sure that. The American ideals and, and, and everything is upholded and, and always remembered um, what happened on this day. I mean, I, I can remember to this day, I was we were in first grade. I was in yep. first grade and, um, you know, everything just kind of went quiet. You know, teachers would leave the room. Um, and I remember coming home that day. I remember exactly the color of the chair I sat on, the way it rocked. Um, I remember everything of that day, everything of that day. I remember where I was, how old I was. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and that at, at that age, we didn't really understand or couldn't really comprehend what was happening. Um, but knowing what we know now, it's it's insane. And um, my parents and, and my brother remember it um, more the, more of like the way the day was. Um, apparently, like it was an absolutely beautiful, like perfect weather day. I mean, beautiful oh, outside, yeah. like absolutely pitch perfect, like straight from a um, like straight from a painting picture day. And something like this happened, and it's something that we'll never forget. Yeah, I mean, I know, I remember. Did you go home early that day? Were you? Were you, was your school sent home? Yeah, I, be, I believe, I believe we were. Okay, mine, mine was because, not because my parents got off work early too. Okay, I know mine was not. I mean, there was kind of a, a conflicting ideas of what you know what to do. There was, um, you know, you know, it's either you know, hey, get kids out of you know this the, the school where you know potentially be a target you know a large number of people or you just stay stay where you're at you know don't you know we don't need people rushing into school we don't need people freaking out you know trying to get a hold of parents to get people sent home and so we actually our school um stayed in session and okay and i remember we watched that we were obviously we were both in first grade at the same time and uh, we had the news on we didn't see you know the it happening live um, but we had the news on after that, and you know, being that young, I don't remember all of it, but I know our teacher was pretty, was pretty upset, and of course that you know made everyone else upset. Yeah, yep. Something we'll always remember, um, and and even to this day, we have the anniversary coming up of September 11th, um, 
16 years and they always show like news coverage on that day yeah um which is always hard to watch but something to um, always remember and and give tribute to the people that um passed away and, and sacrificed their lives that day yeah i mean it gives me goosebumps to think about it just because that's one of that's like the first tragedy that that we rem- our people at our age group remember yeah mm-hmm. and now yes. now it's in history books and you know generations um younger than us that's that's the way they learn and remember it yeah yep all right well, all right let's end well this one let's, on a high note yeah let's end this one on a good one that's that'll be kind of a first for you know for us we always seem to end <laughs> on the depressing ones but not today all right, so we have the final episode of MASH in 1983. And I have to preface this by saying that MASH is one of my, well, I'll say it is my absolute favorite show of all time. <laughs> and so <laughs> we have Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, the final episode of the long-running Korean War series. Um, and that's uh, a total of 11 years, which is eight more years than the war lasted itself. And that just shows how popular the show was. You got to keep it going for eight more years. Um, <laughs> yeah, it ran for 135 minutes, which is considerably longer than the average episode of about 30 minutes. Um, and well, that's most other shows too. I mean, there's it's all it's all in half hour blocks for the most part. Um, it was appropriate though, as Goodbye had the depth, nuance, and pathos of every good movie, and it was it was a just a a really well done wrap up of a tremendous show. Um, you know, this, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the show, it was, it was a show that brought together comedy, uh, huge amounts of comedy, but it also played on, um, kind of pop culture of the time. It played on, um, the, the, the depressing, the aspects of war, the, the hellishness of war. Um, and, and you got to see that from, a surgical hospital that was constantly dealing with, you know, the, the carnage brought in from the front lines and, and it, it kind of, it picked up on, you know, the, a lot of the psychological aspects of, uh, the stresses of, uh, the Korean war. Um, and it did all of this, uh, with grace, wit, and emotion. Um, the, the viewership of this final show was absolutely amazing. Um, it was watched by, 125 million viewers, which is 77% of all television sets were tuned into CBS that night. Jeez. Um, I know. And it's, it's, it remains, um, the highest rated series finale ever. And it was actually the highest rated television program of any kind up until the 2010 Super Bowl. I feel like we can just say that mash is probably one of the most popular television shows ever because the 2010 super bowl um <laughs> i feel like that just doesn't compare because yeah um that, that that's just an excuse to drink and hang out with friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true and it happens every year yeah exactly yeah and 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 it's kind of an interesting aspect to this this last episode and if i'm not mistaken i believe it was the way I've seen it, obviously in reruns, I've seen it in two parts, and I can't remember if it was originally supposed to be in two parts or if it's just split up for um, um, for later broadcast. But the show, the 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 last the the final episode itself was didn't end up being at all what it was initially written to be. About halfway through filming, 
um, if I'm not mistaken, the set burned to the ground, part of the set, the main part of the set, the center of the camp. And so if you've ever seen the, the last episode, n the majority of the episode takes place outside of the normal scenery of of the camp. You see a lot of the helipad. There's, there's, you know, I don't, in case you haven't watched it, I don't want to give out any spoilers, but, you know, Hawkeye is not there <laughs> and it shows where he's at. He's, um, you know, off off camp for uh quite a bit of the episode and and you know i never really thought about it when i watched it the first time but it was because the whole set burned down <laughs> and you know who knows what it would have been you know had the had everything gone according to plan um and so it's it's even you know even with that uh part of the, the even with that uh setback with the show it still turned out to be um, obviously a huge broadcast, 77% of all TV sets, which is absolutely amazing. That is a, that, I mean, that's, well, you've know, said it before. I mean, it's the highest rated television program. Um, or I'm sorry, the, 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 uh, highest rated series finale ever up until now, which is, I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah. It was something totally new at this time where where mash was something that you could talk to anybody about almost and then they would understand what was happening and and being so influential with um kind of breathing like bringing in to um more of a hollywood aspect of what war was um was something obviously viewers connected with um and something huge and and it feels like cbs has all the good shows because they had johnny carson as well <laughs> yeah yeah i mean they kind of got the the market locked down around this time <laughs> oh boy anyway so that that wraps up um the second show of our two-part series for the influential moments in television and telebroadcasting ending on a good note with mash um this is young nostalgia thanks so much for tuning in as always make sure to rate subscribe and share on iTunes, Google Play, and now Stitcher, on-demand radio where you can find over 20,000 shows, including Young Nostalgia. Make sure to subscribe and also comment on what you like um, about the show and share it with your friends, family, anyone that you know that would love this stuff as much as we do and would love to talk to us about it. Anyway, give us a shout-out um, if you would like to be a guest on the show or let us know personally about what, personally about what you think. Give us an email, youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com. And you can go to our Facebook and Twitter accounts, see what we got going on there. You'll find our banners on our Podbean page, youngnostalgia.podbean.com. Anyway, I think that wraps it up. And as we always say here on Young Nostalgia, keep those bottles empty and the ashtrays full. Take care, everybody. <laughs>